0: Hey, and welcome to psychic today I'm your host Jill Roberts and today's topic is going to be on shamanism and shamanic journeying so I did speak about this briefly in the last episode but I wanted to bring this subject up because many light workers are studying to become shamans or becoming shaman initiates um, <clears throat> like myself, I worked with many of the industry's best. Um, I did um, initiations of Navigators of Light and Vision Seeker with Hank Wesselman, who's a paleoanthropologist. Um, I worked with Rajakudri. I worked with um, Shamanic Approaches to Death, Die in the Afterlife with Robert Moss out of England. Shamanic journeying with Spirits of Nature with Sandra Ingerman. And I also did Path of the Universal Shaman with Don Oscar Miros Casela. So we have some different schools of thought and different kind of cultural ways of doing stuff. Because we have um, with Don Oscar, it was Peruvian. With Hank Vesselman, it was um, kind of a combination of African, Hawaiian, and Western thought. Um, Sandra Ingerman is from Brooklyn, New York, and she went on her journey, and she's a very big name in, in Western shamanism today. So I just wanted to start off with telling you whom I studied under, and we're going to start this shamanic exploration, so to speak, right now. You know, when many of us think of the word shaman, it brings to mind a spiritual healer steeped in secret knowledge and mysterious powers, and of course that's how we see it, If whether where um uh whether it's pertaining to Native Americans here in the United States or Eastern type of uh shamanism, they all kind of have the same appearance, which is undecidedly, you know, very questionable because in a sense it's just kind of like. It goes across all cultures and boundaries, which I think is absolutely wonderful. You know, shamanism is the earliest spiritual practice known to humankind, dating back tens of thousands of years. Although the word shaman is a Siberian word for a spiritual healer, shamanism has also been practiced in parts of Asia, Europe, Africa, Australia, Greenland, and of course Native North America and South America, throughout history. The fact that the practice has survived and thrived for tens of thousands of years speaks to the potency of the work. One of the beautiful aspects of the shamanic journey is the principle of direct revelation. The practice of shamanic journeying helps us to part the veils between the scene and the unseen worlds, and access information and energies that can help awaken us and restore us to wholeness. A shaman is a man or woman who interacts directly with spirits to address the spiritual aspects of illness, perform soul rituals, divine information, help spirits of deceased people cross over, and perform a variety of ceremonies for the community. Shamans have taken on many roles here in tribal communities. They have acted as healers, doctors, priests, psychotherapists, mystics, storytellers, mediums, you name it. Traditionally, the practice of shamanism has focused on practical results achieved by the shaman. In a traditional shamanic culture, there was either a single individual or a few people in the community acting in the role of shaman. The shaman would be consulted by hunters and gatherers, in the tribe to identify food sources. If the shaman uh, were able, unable to accurately define the location of the food, the tribe would not survive. Shamans were also expected to perform healings for members of the community. You know, here once again, the survival of the tribe was largely dependent on the shaman's spiritual abilities. So it plays in to the culture big time. You know, unlike many organized religions, and not to say that the organized religions don't have such a um, comfort and healing to their community, but in this situation, we're talking about basic survival needs and being dependent on the shaman's psychic abilities or spiritual abilities. You know, shamanism teaches us that everything that exists is alive and has a spirit. And I go over this as well with crystals because crystals are alive. They have a spirit. They are an energy being. So um, this is what shamans believe. Everything that exists has a spirit and that we're joined with the earth and all of our life via spiritual interconnectedness. Just as quantum physics describes a field of energy that connects all of life, shamans also speak of a web of life that connects everything. In modern culture, many of us feel a deep longing to experience our unity with this web of life and to heal our sense of isolation. When we travel to non-ordinary reality in our shamanic journeys, we learn how to communicate with the spirit of trees, plants, animals, insects, birds, fish, reptiles, rocks, and as well as the spirit of the elements that there are, earth, air, fire, and water. We directly experience the web of life. And psychic mediums do this as well. And it's amazing how people give more credence to shamanism than they do to the practice of mediumship. And there's more of kind of a taboo with mediumship than there is with shamanism, which is basically, like I said, shaman is using their mediumship abilities. Um, But I guess... Probably because the shamans have been revered for you know tens of thousands of years, so you know, psychic mediums are lo- not looked upon as um, to that high status. But I digress as we are a part of nature, we have a deep need to reconnect with nature's cycles and rhythms. Imagine how exhausting it would be to walk against the flow of a river every day of your life. In truth, we have disconnected from the cycles and rhythms of the moon and the seasons, and often we do talk, we do walk against the flow of the river of life. I believe this is partly because of such ailments as chronic fatigue, depression, and a host of other illnesses, both psychological and physical, that are so common today. The helping spirits have a great deal to teach us about restoring balance and harmony into our lives by reconnecting with nature's cycles and by living in unity with the natural world. Within the practice of shamanism, there are a variety of ceremonies performed for honoring and working with the cycles of nature and the cycles in our own lives, as well as reading omens, and interpreting dreams, all of which provide insight, healing, and empowerment. Shamanism can also teach us the value of having a regular spiritual practice and the value of being in service to others, which brings a genuine sense of meaning and purpose to our lives. Finally, shamanism enables us to access powerful forces to help us create the world we want to live in. For ourselves, and of course, for others and our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren to come. Shamans heal emotional and physical illnesses by working with the spiritual aspect of illness. The traditional role of the shaman has been to perform ceremonies. After tens of thousands of years, traditional shamans are still part of the community life and practice in Siberia, Asia, Australia, Africa, and North and South America. The technique of shamanic journeying that I will be talking about is just one of the ceremonies shamans use to establish communication with the spirit world. There are three common causes of illness in the shaman's view. First, a person may have lost his or her power, causing depression, chronic illness, or a series of misfortunes. In this case, the shaman journeys to restore that person's lost power. Or a person may have lost part of his or her soul or essence, causing soul loss, which sometimes occur during an emotional or physical trauma, such as accidents, surgery, abuse, the trauma of war, being in a natural disaster, or other traumatic instances Instances and you know, trying to cope with PTSD. And it's amazing because um, I see the crossover in my other work um, besides mediumship, but in my crystal healing work, especially about this, you know, soul trauma and having what's called a soul loss or holes in the auric field from soul loss. And many times I've dealt with that and have healed that for many t- many people, many clients, many friends and family. So it's interesting to see for myself, especially when I was a shamanistic initiate, I was already a medium and I already had my clear abilities um, opened up and I was um, you know, very familiar with the chakras and the stones and crystals. So when I studied under these amazing shamans, it was just really interesting to see how it all kind of culminates together and assimilates because it kind of comes under the same thing, but just in a little bit of a different way. Um, So, excuse me, you know, the soul loss results in disassociation, post traumatic stress syndrome, depression, illness, immune deficiency problems, addic- addictions, especially, unending grief, losing someone, losing a job, losing a friendship, just a divorce, anything, any type of loss, um, and or coma. It is the role of the shaman to track down the parts that have fled and been lost due to trauma by performing a troll retrieval ceremony. The third cause of illness from a shaman's perspective would be any spiritual blockages or negative energies that a client has taken on due to the loss of his or her power of the soul. These spiritual blockages also cause cause illness, usually in localized areas of the body it is also the role of the shaman to extract and remove these harmful energies from the body. Again, it's crossed over. So, being a light worker, and that's what I call myself, or ascension coach, um, yes, I am these other things an evidential medium, a crystal healer, um, and the shaman, and amongst other things. But I look at it as having extensive tools to use to, if there is a negative energy or entity that is attached to one of my clients, I have a wealth of knowledge to use whatever I think is appropriate, Um, whether it's the shamanic method, the crystal method, or, you know, going in and exercising it myself. Other ceremonies performed by shamans include welcoming children into the world, performing marriages, and helping people at the time of death, death transition from body to spirit. Shamans also work to encourage the growth of crops, help people to interpret dreams, and advise people who are expecting, experiencing trouble. Shamans are in charge of initiation ceremonies conducted around transitions from one phase of life into another, such as initiating children into adulthood. Shamans tell stories about the meaning of life and show us how the spirits can help us find our way when we feel lost in our life circumstances. They can remove spells or dark energies and read the tenor of the community, picking up disharmony and imbalance. They create ceremonies to mourn the loss of a member. Shamans also read signs and omens to choose auspicious times to undertake activities, such as hunting and celebrations. They understand the cycles of nature, the cycles of the seasons and the moons, and how the stars move across the sky. They read the signs that come with these changes and movements. They communicate with the weather spirits and maintain harmony and balance in their communities. Typically, there would be more than one shaman in a community. And of course, depending on how big the community is, but different shamans would be known for their spiritual areas of expertise, kind of like the doctors we have here in Western medicine. For instance, some shamans would be known for their great successes in particular healing ceremonies such as soul retrievals, while others are known for their divination abilities. Over time, the practice of shamanism has adapted in response to different cultural needs and the changing needs of the times. Currently, there's a dramatic revival of shamanism in the West with a wide range of people integrating shamanic practices into their lives, including students, housewives, teachers, psychotherapists, lawyers, nurses, doctors, and so on and so forth. You know, I believe one of the main reasons for this revival is that people want to be able to access their own spiritual guidance. We want to stop giving away our power to socially acceptable authority figures. We know that we are the only ones who truly have the power to change our own lives. So a lot of us feel this way. And that's the reason a lot of us tend to veer towards this type of spirituality. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with not going this way. And there's nothing wrong with going this way. When I come back, I'm going to talk about the three worlds. Stay tuned hi and welcome back to psychic today I'm your host Jill Roberts and now I want to talk about the shamanic three worlds according to the shamanic view There's an invisible reality beyond the physical world that is accessible through shamanic journeying. In Celtic shamanism, this unseen reality is known as the quote-unquote other world. In the Australian aboriginal tradition, the unseen world is known as the dream time. Many shamanic traditions believe that unseen reality is divided into three separate worlds, the lower world, the upper world, and the middle world. Each world has distinct qualities, including particular gateways or entryways, and a recognizable landscape. In this introduction, I'd like to present each of these three worlds, including their distinct their distinct gateways and differences in landscape. So now, the lower world um, can be sometimes known as the underworld for some, although some people can have it term like that in a negative connotation. A lot of people think of the underworld as hell, and that's not what it is here. The landscape in the lower world tends to be earthly, filled with mountains, deserts, jungles, forests. And I recommend that people begin by journeying to the lower world first. And we're going to get into um, shamanic journeying, and I'd like to do some prep work with you guys to get you ready to take that step. And we'll discuss ways that you can heighten your vibration and ground yourself here, so there's nothing to worry about. I'm not going to do it in this episode, but it is going to come. Um, to journey to the lower world, you'll begin by visualizing a location in nature that you have visited in ordinary re- reality and have a clear memory of it. And you use that to spot, that spot to travel down to the earth. Traditional ways of entering the lower world include climbing down the roots of a tree, traveling down the center of a volcano, through a hole in the ground, um, into an entrance of a cave, or through a body of water such as a lake, stream, river, or waterfall. Any way that you can see yourself in a specific location in nature using a natural opening to travel into Earth is fine. If you do not have a clear picture of the natural opening, you can see yourself traveling down into the Earth on an elevator or in a subway, if that's easier for you. For me, I have um, a sacred space that is in the trunk of a tree that is gated by a gate guardian, so I don't have to be afraid. Once I go in there, I know I'm protected. I ground myself. I encase myself in white light, um, which only um, spirits of the highest could and will come through. And then from there, I go back out or through there, depending on which, and that's called my sacred garden, to um, the lower world. And, um, you know, for me, it's a specific place that I've been to many times. And it's there that I meet my power animals, my guides, and I go through an amazing journey and learn a lot of stuff. Um, So, you know, people often experience a transitional phase when they've entered into the opening that appears as a tunnel leading them into the lower world. A literary example of that transition, of course, can be found in the story of Alice in Wonderland, where she descends into another realm through a magical tunnel. Eventually, you come out to the light, and the landscape of your surroundings becomes clear. This is the lower world. In contrast, many people's experience of the upper world is very ethereal. The light tends to be bright although the spectrum of colors can include everything from soft pastels to complete darkness. The landscapes in the upper world can be quite varied, as you might find yourself in the in a crystal city or simply in the clouds. This reminds me a lot of, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's the movie Vanilla Sky with Tom Cruise and Penelope Cruz. Towards the end, um, he sees himself in one of Monet's paintings, thus the name Vanilla Sky. And that scene at the end of the movie is exactly what this upper world is like for me. But I'm describing it here as well. Um, When you're there, it's common to feel as if you're standing on something, although you can no longer feel the earth beneath your feet. The journey to the upper world You want to begin by seeing yourself at a particular location in nature that will help you travel upward. Some shamans use the tree of life, climbing up the branches into the upper world. Other traditional ways of traveling into the upper world are climbing up a rope or a ladder, jumping from the top of a mountain, or even going up in an elevator. Like you did with the lower world going down, you'd be going up. Today, some people travel to the upper world on the hot air balloon. It's entirely up to you. Some ask their power animals or guardian spirits to carry them up. Any way you get there is fine. There will be a transition you will pass through that will indicate that you've entered the upper world. For some people, it's a cloud layer or a layer of fog. You know, this will be a transition, not a barrier. Like in the story of Jack and the Beanstalk, where he climbs up the beanstalk and he has to go through a cloud layer. So, And of, also in The Wizard of Oz, where Dorothy travels to another world on a tornado, which is a common experience in shamanism. In fact, there are many children's stories that speak of traveling to non-ordinary reality that, can, that are consistent with actual practices in traditional shamanism. When you have passed through the transition, you will arrive at the first level of the upper world. If you are still seeing planets and stars as you journey upward, you have not yet reached the upper world. Again, you will know that you are in the upper world because of the sensation of having passed through a permeable threshold of some kind, after which the landscape will change. Although many shamanic traditions view the lower and upper worlds as containing a definite number of levels, many of us have found that there is an unlimited number of levels, because the universe itself is unlimited. So each level will have something special to teach you, and it's up to you to explore them. Now, the middle world is a spiritual dimension of our physical world. Middle world yearning is a method for communicating with spirits that live in all things present in physical reality. Shaman's classically journey to the middle world to find lost or stolen objects, to commune with nature, or do do long-distance healing work. Another great journey to take into the middle world is a journey to the moon, to ask about the moon's different cycles and phases and how they affect your feelings and behavior. In this way, you can learn how to make changes in your life that are in alignment with your natural cycles, giving you an increased sense of well-being. You can also speak to the sun, the stars, and the elements in nature, each of which has much to teach us about how to restore balance in our lives. When you journey to the middle world, you're in the present time, traveling through our physical landscape. Simply see yourself walking out of your front door and stepping into your garden or traveling through a space very quickly to look for something you have lost or to reach a more distant destination. You might make a middle world journey to meet with the plants and trees and rocks where you live to learn more about them and to come into balance with them. George Washington Carver was a very respected botanist who said he gained knowledge about cultivating plants from walking through the forest and talking to them. Shamans have always talked to to animals and plants within and outside their journeys to learn about nature, cycles, rhythms, and the environment in which they live. However, do not rely exclusively on your journeys in the middle world to connect with nature. You also want to spend time outdoors communing with nature, and hopefully your journeys will inspire you to do so. The middle world can be a little complicated to work with, as there are many different types of spirits who live there. Some of the spirits who live there are deceased souls who have suffered traumatic deaths and have not successfully crossed over to the other side. Some of these spirits may not even know that they're dead. To assist them, you would need to receive further training than what I can tell you right now, but I can always work with you on that, one-on-one, if you're interested. In fact, there's a whole area of of shamanic training called psychopomp work, which includes methods for helping souls complete their crossing over process. However, it is fine to journey to speak to the spirit of a tree, a plant, a river, or the wind, to meet with the fairies, the devas, and the elves that live in the middle world. And there are plenty of stones to work with with this. There's Deva, um, green Deva quartz, of course, shaman stones, master shamanite. Uh, you'd want to ground yourself with some black obsidian or black tourmaline. But I will cover that uh, another time. I believe there is a segment on uh, shamanite in one of my previous episodes. So if you want to take a look at that, you can. During your journeys, you can choose to travel to the lower, upper, or middle world. You can choose to engage in conversation with the spirits that you encounter, or you can simply move on. It is important to understand, as you undertake shamanic journeying, that you have complete control over where you go and whom you talk to. Part of the exploration and wonder of non-ordinary reality is to discover the qualities that go with the different territories, including a variety of landscapes, and what spirits live there. Our helping spirits have the ability to travel between the worlds and can accompany us on journeys for transportation and support, regardless of where we journey. Finally, there's no set of rules about what people should experience you know, when they journey, although... I'll describe some common experiences later on, you know, to help you understand the differences. But it's just, it's vital that you trust your own experience rather than trying to replicate someone else's. And that you remember that each person's experience is equally valid. And it's true. I mean, we, shamanism, again, has been around for tens of thousands of years, and it is such an amazing way to go about connecting with spirit, connecting with nature, and connecting with the world around you, so I am going to be getting into power animals, totems, and teachers, that'll be a little bit lengthier, and, uh, you know, I'll do a prep with you for journeying and tell you all the stuff that you need to know before you start. And um, and I can even put up a drum track on here on that episode that's about either 10 to 20 minutes long, which you'll use um, to do the shamanic journey. And then, you know, I'll cover some common questions about it. So um, I hope you enjoyed this. It's just a little intro into shamanism, what it is, and the three worlds. And uh, it's really exciting. It was exciting to learn, and of course, we're all lifelong learners. I'm a lifelong learner, so I'm always open to to new ideas and thoughts. So really, don't forget to leave me a voice message. Um, if you have any questions or ideas, or any other um, information you may have pertaining to this or the crystalline exploration series, so be kind and gentle with yourself and others, and I wish you all the best and all my love and light. Mm-hmm.